Amen to that. Thanks, Steve. If you guys didn't know, Steve and Randall had a birthday this week. They don't have the same birthday. But they both were born in the same week. That's weird, isn't it? Maybe it's not. No. But thanks so much. <laughs> now, I'm excited to be with you guys this morning. I'm here every week, but usually I sit back there in the corner uh, just because that seems to be where I like to sit. And so this is a very different seat from that. But um, usually if you're here in, uh, on a Sunday morning and you look around the room for the prettiest lady in the room, your eyes would land on Randall Hambrick in the front row. She's always there. But this morning's special because this morning they might stop for a minute on her, but they're going to stop somewhere else permanently because my mom is here. And so my mom is here along with my brother. And so I'm super thankful for that. Um, they drove here. My mom was in Hartwell, which is about two and a half, three hours away. Depends on how fast you drive. My brother lives in Athens. And so I'm super thankful they're here. Uh, it's a special time. This is the first time they've ever heard me preach. So this is special. Um, but it is significant as well. Those are uh, my family. And so we're really close. My brother's two years older than I am. And my mom and I are really close. And we've grown close, uh, much closer over the past probably five or six years um, as I got older and began to be more appreciative in life. I appreciate my mother more. Uh, and as God worked on my heart, I began to appreciate my mother more. So there's some info for you. As you get older, let God work on your heart. You'll appreciate your parents a heck of a lot more. Um, that's free. I didn't, play, I didn't write that down. No, but... I'm so thankful for my mom. Um, one of the things is my dad's not here. My dad uh, is part of my family technically, but he's, he's not really a part of my family in the sense that we're just not very close. So uh, long story short, when I was growing up, my dad was physically present for a while, but very emotionally absent. And then eventually around 13, 14, the summer uh, after my eighth grade year, I was going into high school about to turn 14. My dad formally left our family. And so um, he was, like I said, physically present for a while that began to wane through time, always emotionally pretty absent. And like I said, uh, when I was 13, 14, that summer, uh, my dad left our family. And so these are my family. Super thankful for that. My mom has played the role. Um, <clears throat> of both my parents and, um, uh, has done so incredibly well. And so if you have a chance to talk to her. Uh, she's lovely. If, uh, she's a little bit obnoxious, but she's really funny, so it makes it okay. Uh, but if you get a chance to talk to her um, or my brother, uh, they have filled the role of what a dad would be uh, incredibly well. And so I'm super thankful for them. I want you to hear that from me because I want to honor them in that. They've done an incredible job with that, and I'm so thankful um, for them and for that. And so, whew, almost made it. Didn't quite, but no tears have come out yet. Maybe that'll happen later. Um, no, but I'm excited to be with you. So last week, Steve kind of finished out our series on Ephesians. So him and Scott have been going through Ephesians 4 through 6, as small groups have been doing the same. And he finished last week in Ephesians 6 with the idea of prayer in the Spirit. And basically to recap that, I think a phrase that Steve said last week that is really a good uh, summary of what that is, is that last week Steve said this. He said, in the Spirit, focuses on relationship being the foundation of living life. Oh, wait, sorry. I lost this is not, that's not what he said. This is what he said. <laughs> Amen, right? He said a lot of things. This is what he said that summarizes that well. He said, to be in the spirit speaks to a life lived aware at all times of God's presence. And so I think that's really, like I said, a good summary. This idea that praying in the spirit really could translate that to living life in the spirit is really founded around this idea that living life in the spirit is being aware of God's presence at all times. That that's the opportunity that we have is to live a life aware that God is present at all times. 
specifically in the realm of prayer, is that we begin to step into a prayer life that is effective and powerful as we look at being founded in a relationship of intimacy with God. And today, as I shared a little bit of my story earlier, I'll continue to share a little bit more about that with my dad. But today I want to focus specifically on the relationship aspect of God as our father, because I think the opportunity that exists there is for us to see a depth of intimacy of what God has for us. So while we look at life and prayer in the spirit as being connected to God in relationship, specifically as we look to God as father, we see a depth of intimacy that can be formed and confidence to where we really step into all of what God has for us. I think last week Steve laid a foundation for prayer in the spirit and life in the spirit of being connected in a relationship. And today we get to build a house around that, so to speak, with this idea that there is so much that we have access to as a result of the fact that God is our father and we are his children. So together, today we'll look at that. Hopefully that'll help highlight some of the ideas of what it looks like for us to see God intimately as a father and have expectations to access all the things that he has for us as his children. Does that sound good? You into that? If you're not. Uh, that's kind of weird that you're here if you're not into that, because uh, that's what, sort of what we do here. Great. Awesome. So I talked about the idea of us understanding that God's our father, we're his children, right? And that's not new to you. You're not like, wow, Logan, never heard that before. You've heard that before. You're probably familiar with that idea. I think scripture looks at that phrase of us being children of God often. It talks about that. It gives us clarity on what that looks like and what that means. It's really evident, though, throughout scripture, particularly in the New Testament, that decided that Jesus came, lived his life, died, and we have an opportunity now to be children of God because we can be connected back to our Father. And the easiest way to see that, I think the most blatant way that scripture does that because of our culture, is a verse that, whether you're a Christian or not, you know, is John 3.16, Correct. John 3.16, God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that we could have eternal life and not perish, right? And it's interesting to me that, that it focuses on this idea. It says, so God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Some verses just say he gave his only son. And as I learned that as a kid, it just made sense, right? God loved the world so much that he gave his son, that he would die for us, be our sacrifice, we could be in relationship with him and go to heaven. And I didn't really think too much about it, but, but even as I was preparing for this and looking through it, I thought, why does Jesus specifically reference himself as the one and only son, right? That verse could be said in a lot of ways. So if we look at John three sixteen, theologically, you could say that Jesus could have said, God so loved the world that he took on flesh, came to the earth, became a sacrifice so that we could have eternal life and not perish, right? Or it could be one of the many other things that Jesus is, that God so loved the world that He sent the Prince of Peace to come and be a sacrifice for us, right? I'm not going to go through all of the names. There's so many, but it's specific that he says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Why does he do that? Well, if you look at the entirety of the gospel, the reality is, is that the gospel is in the beginning, we were in perfect relationship with God. He was a a father, like Adam and Eve, father, and they were his children. And then we messed that up somewhere along the way, right? And then as we messed that up, Jesus had to come so that we could be connected back to God. But that wasn't all that Jesus did, right? Jesus's life was meant to be an example of what it looked like to be in relationship with the father. That Jesus is our perfect example. He's not just a sacrifice. He is the representation of what our lives fully lived in connection to God could be. And so it's interesting that he says only son realistically because Jesus is the only person that's ever lived fully in the identity of being a son. He's the only one who's ever fully embraced the identity that I am a son of God, that he is my father, he is pleased with me, and I will live fully in everything he has for me. But in that, the opportunity and the challenge is also presented to us to say, 
what does it look like for us to take Jesus as our example and say, if the benchmark is that he is a son that lives fully in his identity, how can we also embody that identity to be children, to be sons and daughters that are fully living in that identity as children of God? And Paul speaks to this idea of sonship as well in Romans 8. So you can look with me on the screens or in your Bible. If you're super holy and you brought an actual Bible, that's great. You can read it there. If you have an NIV, it'll be the same. If you don't, it'll be different words. But here you go. So Romans 8, 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you can live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought you about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, I'll get to that second part in a second, the, the last sentence. But I want to focus on that, that middle that the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. That for each of us, if we've chosen to engage in relationship with God, that our spirit testifies on behalf of that and cries out, Abba, Father. That Paul seems to describe this very primal, this very distinctive, this very just innate thing in us, that as we come in contact with God's spirit, that our spirit cries out, Abba, Father. That it doesn't cry out Savior, doesn't cry out Creator, it cries out Abba, Father. And I don't want to diminish the idea that God is the Creator, that he's our Savior, that he's a lot of things. I grew up in a Baptist church, in a Southern Baptist church, and when they prayed, they would say a lot of names at the very beginning. I love my church that I grew up in, not speaking evil against them, but they would say, Father God, King of the universe, creator of all things good, merciful and just father. And then they would pray. And I was like, why in the world do they keep saying so many names? Can they just go to the prayer? And every week it would be the same thing. And one week I got to say the offertory prayer. When I got to say it, the lady that was our secretary was like, hey, have you written your prayer yet? And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, you have to write a prayer out. And I was like, can I not just go up there and say it? And she's like, no, no, no. You have to write your prayer out, right? You have to write your offertory prayer to go up there. And I was like, can you help me? And she's like, sure. And so she starts writing down all these names. And it's just like, it's just what she does. It's just like part of who she is. I don't know. And she writes all this out. And I'm like, this is interesting. It's weird. But for me, I grew up and I would see all these names. And eventually I just began to see like, maybe they don't even matter that much. It's just God, right? You could substitute all these things. But as I've grown, I've realized, no, it's, it's not actually just a bunch of names that the reality is, is that each of those identities matters. But I would this morning say to you, and you might agree now or disagree, and hopefully by the end you'll agree if you disagree. I would say that us understanding God's identity as our father and us as his children is the most integral piece to us understanding what intimacy looks like with God. That there are a lot of things that we can do to understand God. There's a lot of ways that we can approach him. And I don't want to diminish the fact that God is creator sustainer, life giver, that he's the one that made everything go into motion. He's the one that keeps it there, that he's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I don't want to diminish that this morning, but I do want to say to you that I think that looking at God as father is actually the most integral piece to us understanding true intimacy with God and understanding what it looks like to live a life fulfilled in what he has for us as his children. And so as we look at prayer in the spirit and this idea that prayer in the spirit is based on a relationship, then what does it look like for us to to look at that relationship and take the lens on that God is our father? Well, as I shared before, I didn't grow up with a dad that was really present in my life. And so for me, I grew up understanding my dad as a disciplinarian. And so in my household, my dad was the rules. 
And so if I did something wrong, then my dad would discipline me. He would spank me, and then I would know, don't do this again. When my dad was uh, home on Sunday afternoon, he liked to watch NASCAR. If you like NASCAR, amen to you. Uh, that's not really my thing. But my dad loved watching NASCAR. And so he also would fall asleep every Sunday on the couch watching NASCAR. And I can remember trying to tiptoe from my bedroom through the living room to my kitchen to try to get a little Debbie. Because amen, God bless my mom. She had little Debbies on deck at our house. But we lived this, I lived this, this tension of like, can I get by him? Can I be quiet enough on the hardwood floor with my socks to not let my dad hear me? And sometimes he would. And that was always miserable. And I felt like a failure. But that was how I lived. And that's how I looked at my dad. My dad was the law. He was the disciplinarian. And to be honest with you, for each of you in this room, you have a father, whether he's close to you or not close to you, whether he's passed or he's still here, whether he's ever been in your life or he's never been in your life. The reality is is that you have a father. And and to be honest with you, your relationship with your earthly dad has an effect on how you view God. It has an effect on how you view yourself. That for each of us, we have predispositions based on our interactions with our dad. And I'm not giving liberty or credence to say, hey, if you've made a lot of mistakes, it's your dad's fault. Just blame him. Or, hey, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. It's my dad's fault. I'm not saying that at all. But the reality is, is that we are predisposed to do and believe certain things based on how our fathers interact with us. And for a lot of you, you would say that you understand that because you've seen a confidence or a stability because your dad loves you well. For those of you who have had absent dads or abusive dads or dads that weren't very present, you can also see how that's affected you as well. That it's difficult to connect with people sometimes, that it's difficult to trust people, that you don't often feel safe, that sometimes you don't pay attention. The reality is, is that for each of us, that that affects who we are. And I think the reason that God focuses on that is because he's speaking to the idea that in the beginning, the nature of a relationship between a father and a child has always meant so much. That as we begin to understand those things that God speaks to us as a father, then we begin to understand who we are fully and have a stability and confidence in that. But again, my dad wasn't around, so I understood it was a disciplinarian. And to be honest, I took that in a relationship with God as well. So when I interacted with God, I knew sometimes I had done things wrong. And so when I went to interact with God, when I went to pray, I thought to myself, let me like you have to discipline me first. Okay, so discipline me, God, and and then we can interact. Right. Then we can talk. But you have to discipline me first. Right. I always operated from this understanding that that had to happen. Because to be honest with you, in every relationship that you have, expectation dictates your experience that for each of us. That our expectations of our relationships dictate how we experience them. And this is what I mean by that. So for me, my expectation of my dad was that he would discipline me. And if I had done something wrong, my expectation was for our interaction to happen, he had to discipline me for what I had done wrong, and then we could interact. And it affected everything about how I interacted with God. It affected my experience with God because I didn't have a proper expectation of him. And if we go, if you look at the end of Romans 8 here, really the, the thing that I, I want to land on this idea that, that that foundational piece of us understanding God as Father means so much is because at the end of this passage, Paul says, Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co heirs with Christ. If indeed we share his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. That to be children of God, like Jesus was a son of God, means that we're heirs to everything the kingdom has. And this morning, I want you to think in your own life, to be really honest with yourself and say, do I live my life 
as if I have as if I have access to everything that Jesus had access to. I don't want you to glaze over that like, oh, that's a good thought, Logan. Thanks for that. I want you to think about that right now in your own life. If you looked at the situations that are happening in your life, good, bad and in between. Do you live your life like you have access to everything that Jesus had access to? It's easy for me growing up, going to church, being like, well, Jesus was the best. He's awesome. He never has problems. Right. But that's not true, is it? Right. Jesus was tempted by Satan. Right. He was tempted for power. He was tempted to be famous. He was tempted to have all things. Right. Jesus. Scripture also says that Jesus was tempted with every sin that man is tempted with. It's not like he lived in this perfect world, but I think oftentimes it's easy for us to look at that and be like, well, of course God wanted Jesus to succeed. As a father, of course he wanted his son to succeed. He wanted him to do all the best things. He wanted him to get it all right. Of course that's the case. But what Paul says here is that if that's the case for Jesus, well, so is it for us. That if the case for Jesus was that God, as his father, was always in his corner saying, yes, I want you to succeed. I want you to do the very best of what you have for this world. I want you to win. He was a champion of his son. If that's the case for Jesus, then that's the case for you and for me. That this morning you have the opportunity to look at your own life and say, do I live as if I have access to everything heaven has to offer? My guess would be no. And that's not a shame or condemnation or that's not me pointing my finger because that's my answer. But I think the opportunity that God has for us this morning is to say, well, what would it look like if I did? What would my life look like if I treated my life, my situations like I had access to everything that Jesus had access to? And so as we look at that, I think for me, I had to begin to reassess my expectations of God as a father again. Didn't have a good father growing up. It affected the way I viewed myself. It affected the way I viewed God. And so I think for each of us, we have to begin to have an understanding of what is an accurate and healthy expectation of God being a good father. Right. It's important that we understand that life in the spirit is based on relationship. And it's important that that relationship is viewed that intimacy will stem from us understanding God as our father. But what should we look at God to be as our father? If our expectations dictate our experiences, how should I expect God to be? To be honest, scripture is littered with who God is and what it looks like. But I want to focus on two this morning, things that I think are really foundational to God's character as a father. There's two things, two passages that, that really illustrate what it looks like for us to have a healthy expectation of who God is as a father. So the first is James 1.17. So James 1.17 says this, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. The first expectation that we should have of God is that he wants to give us good and perfect gifts. And I think it's easy to hear that. And again, that's a feel good thing, right? God wants to give us good and perfect gifts. But that's the lens that he looked at Jesus through. Right. It's not good and perfect gifts like a nice 401k. It's not good and perfect gifts like children who obey you all the time. It's not good and perfect gifts like I don't have to pay my mortgage anymore. Right. Because those are nice things, but, but those aren't good and perfect, are they? It's good and perfect gifts like, hey, there's restoration for the brokenness that exists in your life. Hey, there's peace and, re- and, and relief from the anxiety that plagues your mind. Hey, that relationship that you thought could never happen in your world, God can redeem that. Hey, the places that are dead in your world, that there's redemption, that's good and perfect. 
That's a good and perfect gift. It's not one that just settles for the moment. It's one that settles for eternity because perfect means brought through to completion, right? Perfect is who God is. And that's the gift that he has for us. It's not just that God's perfect and he sits on his throne and he's perfect and we're all worthless. He says, I want to give you perfect things. I want to give myself to you. And this morning, you had an opportunity to look at God and say, my expectation is not just that you want to help me get by. I don't want to just survive. As Steve talked about with the armor of God a few weeks back in Ephesians 6, the idea that, that Paul says that, that at the end of all of the battle, basically, that I want you to stand firm. It's not just that you fight the battle and you just barely make it out alive. It's that at the end you're standing firm because God protects and God provides and God fights on our behalf. And the same thing is true for you this morning, that you get to stand at the end of the battle. That you don't just make it through. You don't just survive. The good and perfect gifts aren't just to get by with. That the opportunity that's on the table and the access that you have is to good and perfect things from an unchanging father. He's not going to be different tomorrow than he is today. And his perfection is not going to fade away in a week if it's here today. That he is good and perfect and he has good and perfect gifts for you. And the truth this morning is that I think that's hard to receive. It's hard for me to receive that sometimes. It's hard to look at the things that I've done wrong. It's hard to look at the missed opportunities. It's hard to look at the failures and the sin in my life. It's hard for me to look at those things and say, man, I'm, I'm worthy of a good and perfect gift. And if you're honest with yourself this morning, it's probably hard for you, too. But the truth is this, is that that's not what God sees, because as a father, he looks at us as his children and says, you're learning and you're making progress and you're growing. And even when you drop the ball, I still have good and perfect gifts for you. And that's never going to change. So the first expectation piece I think we need to have of God is that he, he wants to give us good and perfect gifts because he's unchanging. The second is in Psalm three, Psalm three, chapter, uh, Psalm chapter three, verse three. David says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, the lifter of my head. And I remember the first time I heard this verse, I was like, that's kind of weird. The lifter of my head. God has all these grandiose names from my Baptist church where the old women wear big hats and the men dress in suits. Lifter of my head is not one that I hear very often. But also because, to be honest with you, no one physically in my life has ever reached down and lifted my head up. I'm not deprived in that. I don't think that that's the case. I don't know that a lot of people do that. But but it's this picture that is really beautiful of, of how God sees us. I, I want to start, though, at the beginning. He says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me. An expectation that we should have of God is that he is our shield. Psalm 91, he who, re- who, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. He will extinguish the flaming arrows of the enemy. That the idea is that God is our protector. That as the creator and sustainer, as the Alpha and the Omega, that he can protect us from anything. That he's capable. But in the midst of being the mightiest warrior, the most capable God, the best defender, he's also the lifter of our heads. In the midst of being the towering giant that defeats Goliath, that in the midst of that shadow that he says, look at me. Look at me, my child. Don't look at my feet filled with shame or despair, but look in my eyes with hope and with belief and trust that you're mine. And that's all I really want from you. He doesn't protect us so that he can say, I'm the best. He doesn't protect us so we can say, thank you, God. He protects us. He's a shield about us, around us, so that in that safe, quiet space, that he can lift our head up and make eye contact with us and say, look at me. I want to know you. I want to see your face. 
And I think that's an expectation that we should have of God as a father. And again, I don't think that that's easy. I'm not sitting up here saying, all right, there's the keys to the kingdom. Go and live your life. But I think for each of us, if we can begin to work that into the space of letting God transform our hearts to say, God, do you really want to give me good and perfect gifts? Do you really want to be the shield that protects me while you lift my head to look in my eyes? Do you really want that for me? Will you change my heart to really live that way? Because that's how Jesus lived, right? It's so interesting in the Gospels that, that there's this part to the end where, where Jesus is about to die and they're ready to kill him. But it's like he just slipped away from the crowds. And I'm like, what does that mean? Did he turn invisible? Like, did he just how does he just slip away from the crowds? They're trying to kill him. And one minute and the next minute, he's just gone. How does that happen? It's because he had the most capable father. He didn't need a magic trick. He didn't need something to where he could have a diversion. He just had the best father that wanted to protect him because there were things left for him to do. And so I focus on that relationship because what I think Paul talks about in this idea of praying in the spirit, and we'll go back to Ephesians 6 in a second to finish out 18 and 19, um, this idea that as we pray in the spirit, that if we can begin to grow in a confidence that God is a good father to us, then suddenly no longer are we needy Waiting to be the idea. I mean, but Paul uses the language. He says that you've received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters. Amen to the women. But you received the spirit of adoption. Why? Because orphans are needy and they beg and they get from meal to meal and bed to bed and house to house. They're just trying to survive. But in the spirit of adoption, God says, you're in my family. You don't get to sleep here for a night. You get to stay here for forever. You don't just get one meal. You get all the meals for forever. And as we begin to settle into that identity, suddenly we're not going to prayer every single time saying, God, I just need you to affirm me. God, just tell me that you love me. God, I just want you to look at me, look at me, look at me. Suddenly we go from being small children that need that affirmation and attention to mature adults in our faith to where we look at God and say, I know that you love me. Why? Because you keep saying it to me over and over again. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want you to hear me say, well, don't go into prayer asking God to affirm you. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing at all. But what I'm saying is that's a starting point. And what Paul is discussing is this opportunity for maturity spiritually so that we can begin to step into the fullness of what he has for us instead of resting in this very beginning phase. In, the, in Corinthians, Paul says, when I was a child, I thought like a child, a reason like a child. But when I came a man, I put away childish things. I'm not saying it's bad to pray for affirmation. If you had a tough day, yes, pray. That's a great thing to do. But if we begin to look at prayer as an opportunity to see God release the fullness of what he has for us in our lives, as opposed to just affirming that we're his, suddenly everything shifts. The phrase I think that best explains that is we need to learn to go from praying for identity to praying from identity. That if we can begin to go into prayer and instead of going into prayer saying, Give me identity in this prayer, God. We can go into it saying, I'm going to pray to you from identity, God, because that is when heaven begins to be released. That in Matthew, I want you to look at Matthew chapter 21 with me real quick. Jesus is talking and he says, it's interesting. There's a very strange passage. I keep turning that way. I did in the first service. The cross is in the way. I'm sorry. I don't know why I do that. 
It's a really interesting thing. Jesus, it says he's hungry. This context, he says, Jesus was walking, he was hungry. Boom. Seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit come from you ever again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up, and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive it if you have faith. It's really bizarre, right? Jesus is hungry. He looks at a fig tree. No figs. He's like, you're never going to produce figs ever again. The tree dies. And the disciples are like, what just happened? How do you just pray this tree to die and it just dies? Like, that's weird. And why is that in the Bible? What does that even Why? Right? Then he says to the disciples, he says, well, you could do that. But also you could look at a mountain and say, jump in the ocean and it'll happen if you have the faith to do it. And I grew up thinking, okay, right, like, uh, that's not ever happened in my life. No mountains moving in my world. Um, but I started to look at that. And, and as, I, as I thought through that, I thought, well, it's interesting. As I was growing up, and even still, sometimes I'm like, oh, well, well, I've been doing my quiet time this week. I've like four out of five days, man, I'm crushing it. And like, I haven't like sworn at anybody all week. Not that I ever swear, but. I haven't like done that and like no road rage this week and like I'm like doing great. You know, like I've talked to my mom this week. I'm doing good. Right. It's almost like I have this piggy bank and I'm like, let me fill it up. Right. Like I'm faithful. I'm doing my thing. Right. And then this thing comes up and I, I need this mountain moved. And I'm like, OK, God, well, here I've like filled up my piggy bank. Here you go. I've got a lot of faith. So fix my situation. Right. And when I tell that, it's like, that's kind of a silly analogy, right? But the reality is, is that often that's how we treat our prayers. It's like, do I not have enough faith? Have I not done enough for you, God? I need you to make this happen. I need to get into this college. I need to pass this class. I need to be able to get a loan to buy this house. I really need a raise from my boss. I need my marriage to stop being miserable. I need my kids to talk to me because we have a terrible relationship. Suddenly we need that mountain move and we're like, hey, let me cash my piggy bank in, right? I've been being faithful, God. And suddenly it's like, hey, God, in my prayer, I'm saying, hey, God, remind me that I'm your son. Like remind I've worked really hard. So remind me your son. And then I look at that and I say, that's not how it works at all, is it? I didn't earn my identity as a son by being faithful. I didn't earn my salvation because I did the right things. I didn't get myself here. Into relationship with God. No, he just offered me his hand. And if the beginning of my relationship with him was that he simply offered his hand, then why would prayer not be the same way? That instead of praying for my identity as a son, what if I prayed from my identity as a son? And then, as Paul talks about in Romans 8, that we are heirs with Christ, heirs of heaven, that that inheritance isn't something we're longing for. It's something we live from. It's not a thing that we have to earn. It's not a thing that God has to suddenly give to us. It's already available. That this morning, that the challenge I think that God has is, do you live your life like the abundance of heaven is available? Yeah, you got a great job and your family's doing well and you're at church every Sunday. But in your day to day, do you live your life like the abundance of heaven is available? That your identity as a son or a daughter means that you have full access to heaven. 
That it's not that you have part of it. It's not that you're at level one of ten. It's not that you've made some mistakes and backtracked so God took some privileges away. It's that you have full access to everything right here, right now, today. And this morning, I think that for each of us, if we could be honest with ourselves, that God is putting his hand out saying, what would it look like for me to live from my identity and approach the throne from my identity, not seeking for it? That as Paul finishes in Ephesians 6, he says this. Amen. Look at God praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. So he's talking about the idea of praying in the spirit. And then he says to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me, opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the gospel. So Paul is saying, pray in the spirit all the time, right? Paul, the, Steve talked about that last week. But the idea is that if we begin to live from identity, that our prayer life is no longer focused simply on self. It begins to be focused on the kingdom. That it's not natural for us to pray that that heaven would fall for other people. It's really natural for us to think about ourselves and say, let me pray that God would edify me. Let me pray that God would affirm me. Let me pray that God would keep pouring himself out over me. But what about the kingdom around me? What about what heaven has for the people and the places around me? What would it look like for me to see heaven move around me because I'm living from my identity, not searching for it always? I think this morning, the opportunity that we have is to begin to step into full intimacy and seeing God as a father, because that expectation then releases heaven to flow out of us. That not only in your life can you see mountains moved and brokenness healed and dead come to life, but you can begin to see the identity that you were created for. The giftings that God has put in you come to life as a result of heaven flowing out of you. That in each of you, there's pieces of heaven to be released. And that this morning, the opportunity is to begin a process to see those things come forth. That you this morning have an opportunity to say yes To reframing your expectation of who God is as a father, that you might begin to live more fully in the things that he's created you to live for. This Tuesday night, we prayed at prayer and worship, and I talked about God being a God of abundance, that there's always more on the table. And I think this morning, there's a thing on the table for each of you. There are multiple things on the table for each of you. And what would it look like for you, as opposed to an orphan, just trying to steal it really quickly and get away without anyone seeing, to go and sit down at the table because you belong, to feast in the abundance of what God has for you? What would it look like for you this morning to put aside the identity of an orphan that doesn't belong, that isn't wanted, that's messed up too much, and take on the identity as a child that belongs at the table? That belongs with the access to abundance. And that instead of just seeing anxiety go away, instead of just seeing broken relationships mended, that you begin to see that anxiety replaced by a peace that sticks with you, that you live from. That what once was a thorn in your side that prevented you from living fully no longer is there, but instead the abundance of what God has for you exists. That instead of looking at a relationship saying, I'll never forgive this person, that instead of ending at forgiveness, you actually get to step 
into the abundance of what that relationship was initially created for. That instead of just getting a chance to talk to someone, you get a chance to be in relationship with them. To live in the fullness of what God has for that. And so we're going to go back into ministry time. And this morning, I have a few places I think would be helpful for us to land. There's three questions that I want you to ask yourself, and maybe multiple of them apply to you. Maybe only one of them applies to you. But the first one is this, is do you like prayer? And again, during ministry time, you can worship, you can not worship, you can do whatever you want. But my encouragement with you is just to be really honest with yourself. And maybe you've been going to church a long time. But I'll be honest with you, I went to church for a long time before I liked prayer at all. I actually disliked it a lot. Is it an obligation or an opportunity? When you look at prayer, is it a chance for you to connect with God? Or is it just something that you have to do? I think this morning, for some of you, that's a question that your answer is, no, I don't like prayer. You know what I think would be a helpful thing for you to ask God? God, would you help me really connect with you? Not like just make me, don't just force me to like prayer, but could you shift my heart to really like this? Because this is a challenge that I found myself facing this week as I thought through this was, if I don't like prayer, do I even really like the person of God? Because if prayer is a chance for me to connect with God on a personal level, if I don't like it, do I really even like the person of God? And I get that that's tough. I get that's a challenge. I I understand that because I ask myself that a lot of times. But when I'm not in a place that I, I'm like, I hate prayer. It's, it's a waste of my time. I don't like it. I fall asleep too much. I don't know what to say. I've been listening for a long time and haven't heard anything. Do I even like the person of God? Is, is my goal in this God or is this, is my goal in this me? And so maybe that's you. Maybe that's the place that during ministry time, you just need to begin to ask God. Maybe you need to ask one of our ministry teams that'll be in the front. Maybe you need to ask a friend, hey, will you pray that God would just shift my heart? Because I think that I like you, but when it comes to prayer, I don't. And, and that doesn't seem to line up. But maybe you're like, nah, Logan, I love prayer. It's awesome. That's great. Next question. Is prayer a means of communication or is it a chance to connect an intimacy? I'll never forget the summer that I was uh, finished after my ninth, uh, my, wow, not ninth. The summer after my second year of college. Didn't go to college for nine years. The summer after my second year of college I was 19. And I lived in St. Simons. And I was working at a ministry there. And some people had talked about hearing the voice of God. And as I shared before, I grew up in a Baptist church. No offense to the Baptist people, but typically they don't talk a ton about hearing God's voice. If they do at your Baptist church, amen, hallelujah. But I had never heard that concept before. And so some friends of mine had talked about it. I was like, that's interesting, hearing God's voice. And so that summer I woke up 30 minutes early every morning. And definitely God's provision, right? Because I don't know how that happened. But I woke up 30 minutes early every morning. And I would sit and I would put worship music on. Uh, funny, weird connection, full circle tangent. It was Harvest, actually, that I listened to. I didn't have never heard Harvest music before. Don't know how it ended up on my computer, but I would listen to a couple songs that Harvest sang. And I would sit there and I would pray. And I would say, God, if you want to speak, I'm going to listen. If you have something to say to me, come and say it. And I sat there and I did that for like 12 weeks every morning. I might have missed one or two if I'm being fully transparent. But most every day for like 14 weeks. And you know what I heard? Nothing. You know how many pictures I got? Zero. You know how many verses that God brought to mind? None. Day after day, I sat there. And this isn't a story about pat me on the back because I'm great. It's 100% God's grace. But what he established in me was a desire to sit with him in prayer 
whether he spoke or whether he didn't. That my desire was to be near to God above all else. If he had something to share, great. If he didn't, great. And again, that was God's work in my life. I had nothing to do with that other than the fact that I would just physically do it. But maybe for you, prayer has always just been this means of communication. I know how to say the right prayers. I know how to do the right things. My challenge to you would be, how often do you just sit with God because he's God? There's never a story in scripture where people came in contact with God and they weren't transformed. They were always transformed. Maybe for some of you this morning, the question is, how many times do you sit with God just to be transformed? Not to hear something he has to say, not to get a picture from him, not to hear a verse, but just to sit with him. Steve sent me a, ver- a, a text this week and he said, I was reading Eugene Peterson, I was challenged by this, that Eugene Peterson talks about prayer is a lot more about intimacy than it is communication. That spiritual maturity means that we transition from looking at prayer as communication, an email, a phone call, into sitting with the person of God. And maybe for you, never thought about that. And this morning, my challenge to you would be, what would it look like for you to set aside time to just sit and be with God? To grow confident and comfortable in God's presence. Not needing something, not having an agenda, just being. It's not easy, is it? But I think it's worthwhile. The last one is, what are your expectations of God as a father? I talked about expectations this morning. And I get that those are two of many that you could have. But the reality is for me, even as I tell you those things, they're still hard for me to grasp sometimes. What are your expectations of God as a father? Maybe you've never thought about it before. But as I said in the beginning, and hopefully you've come to agree with, the most integral part of intimacy with God is knowing him as a father. That that's foundational. And for you, maybe you've never thought about what your expectations are of him being a father. But this morning, I would challenge you to do that. Again, I get that none of those things are easy. I understand that they're difficult. Uh, it's not just like, oh, hey, I got it now. It's all figured out. And so uh, the last verse that I want you to look at is in Psalm, 30, Psalm 37. It's Psalm oops, 73. I can talk. Psalm 73, verse 28. It says, but for me, it is good to be near to God. I have made the Lord my refuge that I may tell of all your works. We don't tell about all of his works and never have to sit in his refuge. But the psalmist writes that it's good for him to be near to God. And so, too, is it for us. Some of these things are difficult to do, but in the midst of good, in the midst of bad, it's good for us to be near to God. And so this morning, as you mull over these things, as you process, hopefully as you ask the questions that are going to be up, my encouragement to you would be, it's good for God to be near. It's our good that God's near to us. And so this morning, as we go into ministry time, there's going to be communion, as there always is. There's offering baskets. It's an act of worship for you to get to give your offering. And there are going to be prayer teams on each side. My encouragement to you would be this, would be that you take this opportunity to do business with God. I think these questions would be helpful. If you have other things going on, we'd love to talk with you, pray with you about them. But this morning, there are things on the table that you have opportunities on the table this morning. And God's not going to take them away. He's not just going to run away with them. But you could just take opportunity this morning. So I'm going to pray for you and we're going to go back into worship. God, I thank you. That you are a good father. That for a lot of us, that father has a lot of meanings to it, but you are truly, truly good. God, I ask that this morning that you would begin to show us what it looks like to be your children. God, I pray for head knowledge to be transformed into heart knowledge, that our lives would begin to be shaped 
around the truth that you are a good father and we're your children. That you're never going to change, that you're always going to have good things for us. God, I just ask that you would come and be present during this time, that you would move, that you would speak. It's in Jesus' name that I pray.